And joining us right now on our Book Talk segment, one of the co-authors, really great book. If you like show business, and this is the book for you, it kind of goes into some of the uh, stories of really famous people uh, that, <laughs> sadly, may have passed away on stage. That's kind of the premise of it, but it's a very interesting book. It's called The Show Won't Go On, and we're joined today by one of the co-writers of it, Bert Kern. He's an award-winning television film producer, director, writer, very talented man, and also wrote it with uh, Jeff Abraham, uh, who is a PR executive. We're joined by uh, Bert Kearns today from out in California. And Bert, great to talk with you. How are you? Uh, very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as we talked about before uh, we came on, uh, I heard uh, you and Jeff on with uh, uh, a mutual podcast, mutual broadcast uh, friends, uh, Gilbert Gottfried and uh, Frank Santopadre a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I know you really went in depth on that book. You were saying Gilbert really asked you some questions that you really had to almost uh, go back in your memory uh, banks to, to answer. So that was a lot of fun. It was. The best part about that is that Gilbert is a walking laugh track. So every, every joke that you tell just laughs and characters the whole thing. So we didn't get too out of control with Gilbert, but it was, it was, it was a good time. It was fun. I always thought maybe I was kind of uh, the, the only one that, that was interested in obscure kind of showbiz stuff growing up in New York and, you know, watching TV. And uh, my uncle was in show business, so I kind of just gravitated toward, toward those kind of stories. But Gilbert, boy, he really knows everything, doesn't he? Well, Gilbert told us that he's died on stage more times than he'd like to remember. That's right. <laughs> well, that's kind of the, the premise of the book. I and mean, we don't want to give the idea that it's a sad book. I mean, obviously, people dying is not fun. But but these are really great kind of show business legendary stories. And you kind of uncovered, along with Jeff, uh, a lot that I had not heard about. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the, the people that uh, maybe uh, the, the stories they may have heard little bits about. But uh, first of all, just give a, a brief uh, recap of uh, how you and Jeff put this book together. Well, the idea actually started with Donald Trump, uh, believe it or not. Jeff had gone to an Elvis impersonator show at, at a Donald Tr at a Trump casino near Palm Springs <laughs> about uh, 15 years ago. And um, at the show, there's a man named Al DeVoren. Al DeVoren was the guy who, at the end of every Elvis show, said, Elvis has left the building. Please file out and have a good night. <laughs> and so Al was one of the guests there. He went on the stage. When, when the impersonator was done doing his act, Al said, Elvis has left the building. And everyone cheered, and Al went out into the lobby to sign autographs. Um, Jeff met Al, and he heard somebody say, Al, you know, you've got such a story. You ought to write a book. And Al said, hey, well, I will, but I, I've got time. Uh, that morning on the ride home to Las Vegas, Al DeVoren was killed in a car wreck, which got Jeff to thinking about, you know, wow, wouldn't this be a great, you know, a, a great book about performers who, who died on the way home from a show or died on the way to a show? Uh, and he held, he held on to that idea for 12 years until we talked about it. And we said, I said, let's do it. That sounds like a great idea. When we got to about a thousand cases, we said, I think we have to narrow this down a bit. Uh, let's narrow it down to performers who died on stage. And at that point, we got to about 500 cases wow. in the last 400 years. Um, as, you know, one of, the, one of the problems with this book, when, when you set out to write it, once the research is done, is that every story sort of ends the same. Uh, it's sort of a, a mystery. We already know what's going to happen at the end. Um, so we had to make sure that each story was different. And we went out of our way to make sure that it wasn't just a cavalcade of death stories. What it really is, it's a celebration of show business and performers. And it really shows how the careers of these people, some are obscure, some are world famous, but their, their careers and their lives are so much more rich and often much more worthy of storytelling than simply the way they died. Yeah. Before we get to some of the other names I mentioned that uh, you and I mentioned before we went on, kind of a local connection to here. Uh, I'm in Sarasota now. I grew up in New York, but uh, really two names in the book. Uh, Carl Walenda, that family is a famous uh, uh, wire-walking family based down here in Sarasota. Of course, uh, he 
died uh, uh, doing a, wi- a wire walk. And uh, really kind of a sad story, a station I used to work at too, Bert, uh, uh, a woman by the name of Christine Chubbuck. She was a news anchor back in the early 70s and actually killed herself on the air. I know you have both of those stories in the book, but uh, kind of a Sarasota Boy. connection there. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, Carl Lalenda, the Lalenda family, the Lalenda family gets a chapter in the book because they really are the example of the show must go on despite any deaths and tragedies. Uh, many family members over uh, a 30, 40 year period were killed on the wire. And Carl himself had said, you know, life is on the wire. I'd rather go, you know, I don't want to die as an old man in bed. I'd rather die on the wire, which he did. Yeah. He, was, he was promoting a circus in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, doing a stunt walk between two hotels when he when he fell to his death. Um, we had interviewed the cameraman who happened to be on the roof with a motorized lens and was able to take a picture of the fall. And he was said he was you know very excited to get back to his uh, newspaper office. Said to his editor, "I've got these great photos here." And the editor said, "Well, get down to the circus right away because the Lalendas are going on." And then he's like, "What? The man was just killed." No, nope. the rest of the family, his granddaughter and two nephews, went on with the show that afternoon. Wow. I didn't know that. I thought, yeah, yeah, and we interviewed Nick Walenda, who is carrying the mantle of Carl. He's the one that's breaking all the records now, his great-grandson. Right. And Nick said that Carl was a good example to the family of when it's time to quit. Uh, Nick does not intend to die on the wire. He would like to die old with lots of grandchildren in, in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course, about a year and a half ago, they were doing a rehearsal uh here in Sarasota for, uh, I believe, I don't know if it was a circus show, whatever they did, and uh, they had a big fall again. About four or five people yeah, fell. Think, yeah, so. yeah. the family was well-known for, like, the seven-person pyramid. Right, they, they pyramid. Lost a couple right. Of members. Was, and they were trying an eight-person pyramid, and, yes, his, his sister, his younger sister, was very badly hurt. And ever since then, now uh, Nick says they'll use a, an airbag or some sort of device when the family's up there. Yeah. Yeah, I know he does these stunts. He did one not too long ago. I just hate looking at it because uh, I, I don't want to see somebody get hurt like that. But uh, I think he did one in Times Square about six, yeah. six, six months ago, didn't he? Yeah, Yeah, and that's and that's what he said. He said, now <clears throat> things have sort of changed. People don't go to a circus. They don't want to see somebody get killed. No. They want to see some, some wonder. So now, you know, he even uses harnesses, the, especially when he's doing something on a television network. They, the insurance people insist on it. Yeah, yeah, I know when he did the uh, walk over some canyon. Oh no, I guess Niagara Falls about five years ago. Yeah. They put a Niagara Falls. They had a, a, a tether on him. So yeah, yeah. And uh, and Christine Chubbuck, I know you mentioned uh, that story in the book. Not a lot of laughs there, obviously, but I mean, uh, I guess a lot of people think that might have been the inspiration for that movie Network in in some sense. I don't know if it was, but uh, she committed yep. suicide on the air. Some people say that, and it was the inspiration. There were there were two films about it in twenty sixteen. I saw one of them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but. What a, what a story. That, that's another one where there's a, a piece of video floating around on YouTube, which allegedly shows her uh, doing that, but it, it, it's not. It's a, that the video, there, is, there, there was a video. The, the wife of the station owner had it, gave it to her lawyer, and locked it away forever. Yeah, I worked there a long time ago. just did some uh, part-time news editing, and uh, I, again, I didn't know the story at that time, and then there was a couple of uh, clips in there, you know, uh, newspaper clippings in the station, but they really obviously kept it low-key because they don't want people to associate that station with that. But, yeah, that very very weird Most story. Definitely. Yeah, that did, and then again, that, that made the book because as we, as we went through and divided up all the different categories of, of performers who died on stage, we, had, we, we really narrowed it down to people who died in front of an audience. Uh, that's why we originally had people that died in front of t- movie and TV cameras, but we had to get rid of that. There were just too many. So we have people that died you know, uh, on stage. 
in theaters, in nightclubs, for live for a radio audience, for a television audience, and now, of course, social media, where there are actual, you know, not just people that do stupid stunts on social media get themselves killed, but actual performers who have followings who wind up being killed in front of their audience. One of them, another Florida story, I think it was Orlando, it was uh, Christina Grimmy, the, the girl who uh, uh, went on to become a contestant on The Voice. Mm. Um, she, she was shot by a fan during a meet and greet. Uh, her killing, unfortunately, was um, overshadowed less than 24 hours later by that Pulse nightclub massacre oh, right. by the, right. the terrorists in, in the same city. Yeah. Yeah, scary stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about, uh, again, one of the great show business stories. A long time ago, maybe, I don't know when it first came out, there was a, a DVD, or actually it was on the old VCR or VHS tape I got for Christmas one year. It was about the uh, the Friars Club, and one of the great stories in that was about Harry Parkyakarkis Einstein, who uh, uh, was, did, uh, was that a roast or, or I guess a testimonial dinner for uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, did a great routine. I'll let you take it from there, but uh, uh, what a... What a Wild show business story that was. Yeah, that was um, that was November twenty third, nineteen fifty eight, and uh, Harry Einstein was a dialect comedian. He had a character named a Greek, a fake Greek named Park Your Carcass, as in like Park Your Carcass, sit down. Uh, he was a, he was a, he was the father. Uh, I guess people uh, sort of know that now. He was the father of Albert Brooks, the comedian, and um, Bob Einstein, Super Dave. Right, he was Super Dave's father. Um, he, was, he wasn't in, in very good shape. He was 54 years old. He was semi-retired, but he would show up for Friars Roast. And um, it was a testimonial dinner at the Beverly Hilton Hotel in Beverly Hills. And everybody went up there. I think Sammy Davis Jr. was there, uh, Milton Berle, Danny Thomas, uh, Dean Martin, and George, George Murphy. Uh, he went out and he, he did his routine before the audience. And there, there is um, audio of it that you can hear on YouTube. And he, as they say in, in show business, in the comedy world, he killed. I want you to meet a great guy and a fine friar, Harry Einstein. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Distinguished and honored guests, my brother friars, ladies and gentlemen. It is indeed a very great honor for me to have been asked to sit up here tonight on this dais, which is made up of perhaps the greatest array of theatrical talent in the world, and the great privilege of speaking here is assuredly in no wise diminished by the fact that as co-chairman of the membership committee of the Friars Club, that it now becomes my most pleasant duty to officially welcome perhaps the most talented the best loved and most certainly the best known couple in the theatrical world today, my very dear and very close friends, Miss Louise Bowles. Danny? 
We are particularly delighted to welcome you into our club because we know what a prominent club man you are. I have the great satisfaction of belonging to several exclusive clubs with him, such as the Diners Club, <laughs> the Book of the Month Club, and the Automobile Club in Southern California. I tried to get into the Los Angeles Country Club, but they don't take actors. But you must not think that the Friars Club is an easy club to get into. Quite to the contrary, it is most difficult. Before a prospective candidate has even issued an application, he must first satisfy us, beyond any question of a doubt, that he is either a resident <laughs> or a non-resident of the state of California. then must be proposed by, and then vouched for, by at least two men who are listed in the phone book. <laughs> then his name is turned over to our screening committee. Chairman of which is Chico Marx. He was so great and was so funny. Uh, you could hear people pounding the tables of laughter. Uh, he finished his act. He walked back to the to his seat at the dais, and Art Linkletter said, "This guy is so funny." Why is it this guy does not have his own regular TV show? And Harry parked your carcass Einstein and said, yeah, why not? <laughs> and then fell over into the lap of Milton Berle yeah. and died in front of everyone. Um, no, there, was, there was pandemonium. Milton Berle he screamed, is there a doctor in the house? And then he, he, he pointed to Tony Martin, the young singer, and said, Tony, sing something, do something. So Tony Martin got up, they took up the band, and he sang a song called There's No Tomorrow. <laughs>
when I saw that in the video the first time, I, I, I almost fell on the floor. I mean, it, yeah. it's a sad story and it's a hilarious story at the same time. <laughs> and again, it's one of those, you know, you, you can't make these things up. It's, you know, you can't make these things up of, of the, the community theater actress who played the same role every night on stage. She, she did the same thing and died on stage every night until one night she died on stage for real. She would sing the song, Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone. <laughs> collapsed. Got a standing ovation. You know? And, no. you know, they're, they're ironic. We, we make sure we don't, we don't you know, poke fun at, at people in the stories. No. But, you know, the, the deaths are ironic and they're funny. The, the, the community theater actor who, who died on stage during a, a play called The Art of Murder you know, that's okay. That's funny. The, you know, the, the woman who won the Guinness world record for the longest tenure with the symphony orchestra, she was 87 years old, four foot 11. Her name was quite fittingly Jane little. And she played the, uh, the double bass, the largest bass in the orchestra for 72 years. Wow. She was on her, on her final show. Uh, it was a pop concert on a Sunday afternoon and she fell over and dropped dead during the encore number. And again, we couldn't make it up. The song she was playing, there's no business like show business. <laughs> well, I guess uh, if you're in show business, they always say, uh, you know, if you die doing what you love, that's the way to do it. I know nobody wants to do it at that moment, but uh, it is kind of fitting, I guess, if you're in show business, right, to go that yeah, way. Yeah, and, that's, and, that, and that's another thing that we looked into because, you know, especially older performers, the old, you know, the old troopers, they want to die with their boots on. They want to die on stage, and there's, there's no way that, they, that they'd rather go. And uh, we, we looked into that question. We talked to a lot of survivors of people, people who have died, you know, 35 years ago. And we say, did, did you have, take any, any comfort in the fact that your father died doing what he loved? And they're like, well, not really. I mean, yeah, it's, it's great, but, you know, I wish, wish that he was around for another 30 years. Yet, you know, Dick Sean's son, who witnessed his father's death on stage, you know, said, you know, he was at a, a point in his career where, you know, he really had so much more to give. And although it's, you know, it seems very, you know, fitting and glorious to, to die that way, you know, for the survivors, it's still, you know, very traumatic. And we had to keep that in mind as we wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Dick Sean, I saw him, uh, again, growing up in Long Island, uh, lived up there at the time, you know, still live there at the Westbury Music Fair. There's a great night of comedians. He was on the, uh, on the bill. Uh, this was, I believe, 86. And I believe he died maybe three or four months after that. It wasn't too long after I came down to Florida that, the story came out. He was on stage, I believe, in San Diego, and uh, he, yeah. he was kind of an eccentric performer. I mean, he was great, but he was a little little offbeat, and uh, people didn't know he died. Well, you, you take it from there, but uh, there was another one that was kind of famous. Well, he, uh, and that was another story that we were – Jeff and I are very you – know, we're very big Dick Sean fans. Yeah. You know, people from from the producers, he plays the hippie who played Hitler in, in Springtime for Hitler. Right, in, great role. He was in a, a mad, 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 mad world. But he also was a great avant-garde um, stand-up comedian. You know, although he, he was also a Broadway leading man, a singer, a dancer, but he was a great stand-up comic. And what he would do, he had a one-man show where he, he would open the show on laying on the stage, not moving underneath newspapers. And the audience would file in, thinking the stage was bare, was nobody was there. And then when everybody was seated, he'd get up from the newspapers, you know, eating a banana. And they didn't, <laughs> nobody realized he was there. And during the during the intermission. He'd either say, I'm going to take a nap right now, or he'd pretend he was in a coma and lie prone on the stage for the entire intermission. Not a good thing, not, you know, not, not, a, not a good thing to be doing when you have a heart attack That's on right. stage. He, you know, he, he was on stage trying out new material uh, for his show, 
and he said to the audience, you know, let's pretend, let's pretend that there was a nuclear war. Everyone in the world was killed except for the people in this room. And I would be your leader. And with that, he face planted onto the stage. Wow. And everyone thought it was part of the act. And his son was the stage manager at the back of, at the, back of the theater. And he called on, uh, on, on the headphone to the, the stagehand. Uh, he doesn't usually fall like that. That was pretty hard. He went out and checked on him, went out and checked on him. And uh, said, well, what's going on? Is he breathing? He said, I don't think he is. Um, so at that point, you know, chaos ensued. Luckily, well, it didn't turn out to be luckily, but uh, coincidentally, the theater was, was right next to the Scripps Hospital. The hospital was on campus. There were four doctors in the second row. Uh, they worked on him, as did um, Dick Sean's second cousin who happened to be there, but they were unable to save him. Please welcome Dick Sean. Dick Sean is here. Dick Sean is Thank you very much. It's important to use a stand-up microphone if you want to get the feeling of the true cabaret feel. I've been in cabarets now over 25 years. I started in the cabaret business, so I obviously, obviously know every facet of it. I know exactly where to stand, how to talk, and that's why I'm presenting this young man today so he can learn from me how to work. I'm sorry, sometimes it doesn't. I'd like to start out with a wonderful joke. One has four legs and lies on its back. <laughs> oh, you know it. Well, we'll forget the punchline then. But I am happy to be here. Uh, anytime uh, when I got the call for this particular show, especially the fact that they're bringing all new talent in, I said, yes, I want to be involved in that. Because new talent is very important. We have to keep coming up with new talent all the time. And I know how difficult it is to be established, how to get your foot in the door. I remember when I first began, the kind of routines we used to do then, it's all changed now. People, they work much stronger. But in those days, life was very simple. Your parents, everyone believed in easy things. And the old vaudevillians, when they came on stage, they, they used to do simple kinds of songs. It was so easy then. Maestro? To the girl that I married. The girl that I married. People used to laugh at things like this. The girl that I married was quite a catch. As strong as a horse with a face to match. A dream beyond compare. I love every potato that grows in her hair. When I call her darling, she never hears. She's too busy swatting flies with her ears. Holy Moses, when she poses, she's so cute when she tilts both her noses. Although she's two-headed, the girl that I wedded is mine. I'll never forget the first time I saw her standing in front of a pawn shop, picking her teeth, and I watched her go in and pick out the teeth she liked. I used to call her my melancholy baby. She had a head like a melon and a body like a collie. Only idiots would laugh at that today. Yeah. And you know, his son Adam is, you know, is still just you know, mourns the death of what he called his best friend. You know, on that day. I heard an interview with him. I, I think uh, uh, Mark uh, Malkoff, another guy. I don't know if you know him. He does a, a show on, on the Carson the, tonight. Yeah, Carson podcast. And you're right. Uh, the son is still obviously he misses his dad, but he really is still uh, hurt by it. He, he sees no, nothing uh, positive out of it, so you can't blame him. Yeah. Yeah. Mark actually, Mark Maltoff actually, one thing we did in the book was correct a lot of misconceptions. You know, Wikipedia, uh, a lot of these, these lists you see on, online, 
they have a lot of information that's, that's incorrect. And we were able to correct a, a lot of those stories and, 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 and misinformation. One of them actually is about Dick Sean, and, it's the, and Mark Malthoff actually um, solved that for us, and we have it in the book, is that the, the rumor or the story, the legend, is that um, Dick Sean was, was banned from The Tonight Show. Right. Because he was hosting one night, and he destroyed Johnny Carson's set. Right. When he was, he was um, seeing the um, substitute With, with Rich Little, I believe, was on with him. Yeah. It was, it was Rich Little. Yes. They did turn over the, the, the host's desk and pretend that they were on a, on a boat crossing the Delaware. And, um, <laughs> and, and he did destroy the set. But then we also looked into it and found out that Dick Sean actually wasn't banned from The Tonight Show. He appeared, he appeared many times, mostly with guest hosts. Right. But shortly before he died, he was on with Carson, and Johnny referred to him as being brilliant. So that's all, you know, all, all good, to, good to know. Good to know the facts. He always did a, a funny bit when he did the roast. He did it at the show I saw live. He'd come on uh, whenever they introduced him, kind of stood around, stared at the audience, built up the laugh, and then he'd uh, spit out some soup like he threw up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that on YouTube. I think it was a, a funny Chong roast. I thought do that. He, now, people might think that's disgusting, but, but it's funny the way he did it. <laughs> yeah, he, he killed. He definitely killed. <laughs> Well, another one I wanted to talk about uh, is uh, a name maybe people don't remember if you're under a certain age, but uh, if you're over a certain age, you remember the name of Tiny Tim on Laugh-In and, of course, uh, got married on The Tonight Show. Now, I didn't realize until I read through your book that uh, he actually, uh, I don't know if he died on stage, but he collapsed on stage. But, but again, you take it from there. But he was an eccentric performer, did all these uh, old songs and that falsetto voice. But uh, talk about Tiny Tim, if you would. Well, well, Tiny Tim was, was, was a strange character. He had long, ratty hair. Yeah. He, had a, he had a big hook. He was a cross between the Wicked Witch of the West and Howard Stern. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he walked around with a shopping bag and, and a ukulele. And he was and he was a one-man jukebox of great American standards from the 1920s and the turn of the century. Um, and he was not, people would, would think that he was some sort of crazy phony. But anyone who knew him knew that he was totally sincere uh, he loved show business. He loved vaudeville, and he managed to get a career out of it. He made it big in the '60s with a song called "Tiptoe Through the Tulips." He was a regular on the show Laugh-In, and then he did. He, he was he married his his girlfriend on the Tonight Show. I think it was the largest audience the Tonight Show had ever gotten to that point. The toast of Greenwich Village in his first appearance anywhere, Tiny Tim. <laughs> Bye-bye. 
after that, through the 70s and 80s, he, he continued to perform. And in the in the 80s and 90s, a lot of the you know the hipster rock bands started um, performing with him, and you know he became a sort of a cult figure again. He became a, a character on the Howard Stern show. Right. Um, and then there you go. In, in about 1996, he was performing at the Ukulele Hall of Fame Museum in Massachusetts, and he went up there and he said to everybody, "I'm not feeling very well, so you know just be, be ready in case I happen to cough." And with that. He fell backwards, or fell forward off the stage with a, with a heart attack. Uh, doctors warned him, you know, he survived that heart attack. And doctors said, look, you've got to, you, you need to take a year off because you've got congestive heart failure here. You know, you're, you're not going to make it. He, um, he went back home to Minneapolis with his third wife, Tiny Tim, this strange looking character, had, had three wives. <laughs> and people, he was a chick <laughs> magnet, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, but he, he agreed, uh, because um, his, his wife's mother was a member of the, the Women's Club of Minneapolis. He, he agreed to perform uh, at, at, a, at a gala at a dinner uh, about two months after that heart attack. It was in November of 96. Uh, it was a bad night for him. He was very weak. He went up, but he, he, did, his, he did his song. Uh, he sang his, his signature Tiptoe Through the Tulips and blew some kisses to the crowd. And as he began to walk off the stage, collapsed and died. Yeah. I can never figure out as a kid, was this an act in any way or was he really like that? And you kind of answered that, I guess. He was like that, right? In real life, there was no act. Apparently, yeah, apparently he was, he was very sincere. Yeah. And, uh, and there, we found an old New York Times article where they, 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 they looked into it and they said, you know, this guy's a phony. Well, guess what? He's not. He's, he's the real thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. They, they said that he was, he, he, was, he was born too late for vaudeville. But in the 1970s, there was a guy named Roy Radin who put on this oh, sure. traveling show. And he would he would bring out people like Donald O'Connor and George Jessel and mix them in with the Shirelles and right. a lot of people that were stars <laughs> of you know forgotten stars, and they were a, they were a vaudeville show. It was called Roy Radin's Vaudeville Show, and Tiny Tim was the star of it for many years. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, he, he made a career out of that. It was amazing, but uh, and he uh, and he did it for the love of the music. You could tell it was, uh, but it, what what a great character. Well, this book yeah. is full of stories like that. Again, it's called The Show Won't Go On. We've been talking with uh, Bert Kearns today and uh, co-wrote it with uh, Jeff Abraham. And uh, we just touched on uh, on really three or four of them, but there's so many. We won't t- do it now. But, of course, the famous uh, guest who died on the Dick Cavett show. you got a whole uh, big section on that and uh, and so many uh, others that uh, that have uh, went to their great reward, but they were doing what they loved. And, uh, Bert, really pl- uh, pleasure talking to you and uh, good luck with the book. I know it's getting some great press already, but, uh, boy, uh, I guess you could do two or three volumes of this, right? Well, I'll tell you one thing. We have a, a website, the show won't go on.com, or you can get there with diedonstage.com. And we've been keeping track uh, and updates. We've had close to 20 people have died on stage in 2019 alone. Wow. And, and we had five people die on stage in the past three and a half weeks. Um, everything from a drummer in a, in a Motown tribute show to a bass player in a Chicago tribute band to a Spanish pop star, uh, which is on YouTube. She was killed in front of 5,000 people when a pyrotechnic explosive went off and hit her. Mm. Um, it, it would, it's, funny, it would, it's not funny, but it would have been six people who died on stage in the last three weeks. But in Florida, I believe it was Hollywood, Florida, uh, there was a guitar player, a four-time Latin Grammy winner by the name of Stan Warner. He was performing at a, um, at a pub, uh, put down his guitar, walked over to the bar, and had a heart attack there. So he didn't die on stage. He 
side at the bar. So he wouldn't make the book. On a, on a technicality, he gets left out. <laughs> he gets an asterisk. <laughs> but not funny. <laughs> well, Bert, really a uh, pleasure talking to you again, and uh, thanks for taking the time. I know we had a little delay in it, but I'm glad we could do it tonight. And uh, please, uh, I know, keep in touch with Jeff. He keeps sending me some great uh, emails of things he's uh, working on. I'm sure you're working on other things, and we'll definitely do this again down the road. But uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Talk Across America. Please visit our website at DougMilesMedia.com for more great interviews and content. And if you're interested in any of the books we talk about on the program, please click the Amazon link on our website. It helps support the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again real soon here from beautiful Sarasota, Florida. I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.